Hi, this is Marian Samuel from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m., we interview a guest about real-life issues from the Caribbean. Welcome to Lighthouse Conversations, a time to explore the issues surrounding your everyday existence, your family, your community, your environment, your health and safety habits, your lifestyle, both physically and spiritually, will all be discussed here on Lighthouse Conversations. Let's get started and see just what we can learn to better your life. Thanks for taking time to join me for another episode of Lighthouse Conversation. I am Marian Samuel speaking with Mr. Marvin Fitku from the Antigua and Barbuda Emergency Medical Service. Welcome, Mr. Fitku. Thanks for having me. Thanks for accepting the invitation to sit with me and together we inform society on what is the latest with the EMS team and how things are going and how we could take part in saving lives. Now, we often hear you guys before we see you. And that's about it. But there is much to know about our first responders. I am sure that's what you guys call yourself, right? First responders. Yeah, that's one of the names we go by, yes. As they approach a home or some event, a school, a workplace, what is racing through the minds of each personnel? How would you define an EMS personnel? And tell us a little of your role at this demanding institution. Okay, as um, Ms. Samuel said, uh, my name is Marvin Fitko. I am the training supervisor and public relations officer for Antigua and Barbuda Emergency Medical Service. Now, the profession, as what we're known as first responders or medic, um, they're divided into three categories. Uh, that is EMT, which is emergency medical technician, and we have advanced EMT, and we have paramedic. Um, the skill set is based on a um, number of um, studies um, covered. As you go further along, the paramedic will be the highest scope within that field. Um, so, for example, the basic EMT, let's say dealing with a, God forbid, a stab wound, would, uh, you know, do the basics, stop the bleeding, apply pressure, do the vitals, and so forth. The advanced EMT will then maybe come and uh, put up a, a intravenous line for fluid to keep up the blood pressure. And if you have a paramedic on scene, let's say the patient lung has now collapsed, he will do invasive procedures such as a, a needle decompression, which is basically getting air out the chest cavity and so forth. So, as you go up, the skill set go up and the responsibilities go up. But sometimes we're just we're just called medics and we're quite mm-hmm. fine with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. What inspired you in this field or profession? You know, it, it's a funny story how I, I got into this field because I, uh, in 2007 I believe I was in the Antigua State College and I was concentrated on law, to study law and I needed some money to proceed to law school to UWE mm-hmm. and I saw they put out the ad that um, emergency medical technicians are needed and the government is willing to train and send to the 
the, the the college to do it, the course and so forth. So I said, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to go and, and do this job and, you know, get some side experience, make some money and go to law school. And then I fell in love with it. I, I love the challenge of it. I love the, the the aspect of the job where nothing is the same every day. I mean, and it has a strong theoretical base and also a practical base. So you'll, you'll find you have to learn how something goes in your head and then you have to go out there and apply it under some strenuous conditions. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, everybody, for example, I say there's nothing like this job because, for example, let's say everybody in the medical field possibly can put up an IV, a doctor, a nurse, uh, a phlebotomist or whatever, but nobody gets to do it at night in a vehicle that's upside down with persons screaming at you. So it, it makes the job quite different and exciting. Okay. Now, what are the duties? What are the duties of EMS workers? Okay. Our, our job, is, as you said earlier, is uh, we're first responders and we respond to medical and traumatic emergencies. Uh, when we say traumatic, we refer to things such as motor vehicle accident, falls, fractures, stabs, puncture wound, anything that has um, kinetic energy, as you would say, right? Medical calls is another class of emergencies, such things as uh, asthma, a heart attack, uh, mm-hmm. respiratory distress. Those are biological mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And we also would be on standby for, let's say, let's say an aircraft is in trouble and they don't know the outcome, they will have us on standby. And EMS in Antigua has evolved so much that we are basically in a lot of uh, different facets within society. For example, now, I don't know if the other islands do this, but we also transport patients who are bedridden, who need to go from one facility to another. We also have a, a unit within the department that deals with wheelchair patients who has to go to rehab and, and so forth. But in an essence, we're there to handle um, life, um, critical emergencies, and try to get there on time to, to basically save a life. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Now, um, what is the difference between the EMS and the EMT? Okay, <laughs> and that's, that's a term that most person um, gets confused with. When mm-hmm. I started it, I had to memorize it. Okay, so EMS is Emergency Medical Service. That is just like how you have the name police that can, adop- um, can be um, uh, adapted to any country. Okay. EMS is a generalized term for any country that has a emergency medical service. Mm-hmm. The EMT, mm-hmm. which is emergency medical technician, works for EMS. So EMTs work for EMS. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. Okay. Um, when disaster strikes anywhere, mm. EMS workers are always among the first on the scene. Yeah. Right? Uh, performing life-saving um, procedures on victims. In these critical moments... Uh, can mean the difference between full recovery and long-term compromised health yeah. or even death. Yeah, hopefully How, Yes. How does one put all the emergency management education mm. into action at such a time? Okay. All right. So uh, based on the emergency, um, certain agencies will respond first. Let's say if the emergency is fire-based, obviously fire department will go there first. Mm-hmm. If the emergency is crime and so forth, police, if it's water, Coast Guard, and so forth and so forth. When the medical things comes in, that's mm-hmm. our job, basically. Yes. That's our mandate. Now, um, you're asking me, how do you deal with the variety of mm-hmm. emergencies? Mm-hmm. How do I deal with asthma versus a stab wound versus a burn? Now, I tell my students this. Everything can fit under this category. First first of all, scene safety. You have to make sure the scene is safe. 
even if it's a baby that is trapped in a burning building, if you're not a fireman mm-hmm. as an EMT, you're not gonna, you shouldn't go there because mm-hmm. you might become the second patient. So once we get scene safety out the way, and we get kind of, we get a little lamb base from the public because let's say there's a stabbing in some village and EMS hasn't arrived. Sometimes EMS hasn't arrived because EMS is not allowed to go on a scene until the police has said it's secure and safe. So once we get past that hurdle of scene safety, the next thing I tell my students is ABC. We still do it. Airway, breathing, circulation. In essence, in a nutshell, that's what EMTs are there to, to secure the patient's airway, mm-hmm. breathing, and circulation. Those three things naturally, more than likely, will keep you alive. So, even if it's a stab wound to your lungs or you you were caught in an explosion and the heat went into your lungs, we're still monitoring your airway just in a different method. Mm-hmm. And we so we have um, methods, what we call the primary assessment, secondary assessment, and so forth. So the primary assessment is where you look at the patient. First of all, is the patient conscious? Is the patient breathing? Does the patient look sick? And then if you can answer all those questions and it's, it's a positive and you don't have to start CPR immediately or put on a tourniquet immediately, you move on to what we call history taking. Maybe the problem is not so clear cut, so you start asking the patient, oh, your abdomen your abdomen hurting you? When last did you eat? What is the last thing you had to eat? Have you ever had this pain before? So it all depends on, on the situation and following those steps. And we, we separate again our medical assessment from our trauma assessment. I'm not going to get into that, but mm-hmm. it's quite different because sometimes... Um, they're quite distinct from, from, from each other, but sometimes a medical problem can lead to a traumatic problem. For example, let's say a gentleman who's diabetic, um, his sugar went low and he's driving. Now he went unconscious and he ran into a tree. Mm-hmm. Now you see the medical problem, the diabetes, led to the traumatic problem, which is he ran into the tree and now his, his skull has a laceration or, or so forth. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, again, we do get hassle from the public for that. They, you know, we go on scene and they tell us, oh, just scoop them up because people have this mentality that scoop and go go to the hospital and drive like a, like a bat out, out of hell and, and see how fast you can get there. But that in itself doesn't save lives. You have to find the immediate problem. For example, if you're bleeding to death, what, what is the point of me just scooping you up and running to the hospital? Let's say from this area we're located in the studios. By the time you reach the Jennings, you probably bleed to death. It, has been, it would have been better if I had assessed you, stop the bleeding, and then proceed to the hospital. Hmm. Now, uh, Mr. Fitku, EMS workers must be able to cope with this high-stress job. They often are on their feet all day and may need to lift patients and heavy equipment. All of that to ask, do EMS workers have counselors on an... Um, a regular basis. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, we do We do have a system in place where we um, let the staff know that if any, any... First of all, let me step back. When we when we assess people who want to get in the system, we don't we, we we're not really responsible. The, the supervisor not responsible for hiring. That's the ministry's part. But our part on the supervisor, what we try to do is assess individual because, as you said, nobody is not everybody is cut out mm-hmm. for this job. It's mm-hmm. not it's not an easy job. Um, I always joke with the staff that all of you are slightly a bit off. That's why you <laughs> like this profession, <laughs> you know, as a joke. Mm-hmm. But first of all, if you if you realize you're cut out for it, then you do it. But after a while, if you realize you're 
you know, you have a problem, it, it's not for you, or you went on a particular call that is quite stressful. And I don't care how, how tough you are, some calls will get to you, especially for a lot of the medics to call with small children. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to see a small child burnt alive or, or anything of that sort, right? It's very, very traumatic. If it is a problem, we advise them to come to the supervisors, speak to any of one of the, the supervisors, and see what we can do. And if we're not getting it resolved, we will um, move on to a counselor, a professional counselor. Then that counselor will assess them. And then if it's serious, more serious than the counselor can handle, we move on to a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. which then determines if this person maybe needs a month off or need a transfer or anything of that sort. Oh, okay. Now, there are some skills, not even a classroom can prepare you for. Now, what are some of those skills you might have to adapt to mm-hmm. in the spur of the moment? No. Yeah, our adaptability in itself, that, that is that is number one skill, thinking off your feet. Mm-hmm. I tell my students that, that the textbook that we use is our guidelines presently, but it is just a guide mm-hmm. because you might see the textbook says, well, if a patient is bleeding, um, apply a tourniquet or apply pressure. But what if you get there and both patients' limbs are off? Mm-hmm. Where, where does the tourniquet go? Mm-hmm. You know. So I value thinking on your feet faster, and that's one of the reasons I like the profession because I view intelligence as common up. So coming up with novel solutions for novelty problems because mm-hmm. anybody can memorize a textbook mm-hmm. anybody can memorize a phone book but if you don't know how to use the numbers to call a person it doesn't make sense True. right so we, we try to in- instill our students you know coming up with fresh ideas thinking on your feet and, and so forth Listeners, thanks for taking time to join me for another episode of Lighthouse Conversation. Presently, I am speaking with Mr. Marvin Fitku from the Antigua and Barbuda Emergency Medical Service. Now, Mr. Fitku, what are the do's and don'ts of an EMS worker when tending to a patient without the presence of a doctor? Okay. Well, we naturally we work without the presence of a doctor. Um, again, what you do or you don't do is based on your scope of practice. Okay. So I don't expect a basic emergency medical technician to doing a, a, a cracheotomy, which is a fancy procedure where you open the patient's um, a, a throat to apply airway if the face is damaged. I don't expect that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all has to do with the level of training. Um, certain agencies will have um, even a a on-call doctor that if the, 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 the situation is beyond the scope of all the three levels which is the basic the advanced and the paramedic you can refer to a doctor we sometimes if we do reach that situation we will call to a doctor that we know in the ER who we're familiar with and so forth for advice but that which we do is why we like the profession where we do get to do a lot of the stuff that we quote the quote unquote cool stuff mm. you know <laughs> and so forth but you have to stay within your scope if right. you don't I mean if something goes wrong you can get in trouble even if it goes right you're still in trouble so Mm -hmm. stay within Mm -hmm. your scope right okay what percentage of people who call in an emergency situation for example um, a heart attack Mm. at home are saved by EMS um, that That is a very uh, a hard question. Mm-hmm. One, um, we never get to see the outcome of the patient. Okay. Yeah, we, we carry them to the ER, we hand them over, and they go on to maybe the the, car, the consultants and the, the medical floor and so forth, mm-hmm. but we never really get to follow through. And by our profession, we're not really allowed to talk much about the patients we see. Uh-huh. So I can't go to Nurse John and say, hey, um, or Nurse Jane, um, how, how that patient that I brought in? Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. We don't uh-huh. really want to touch that ground. I think you should. <laughs> but um, yeah. has any patient, though, that the EMT had to assist ever tried to contact that particular EMT 
and say thank you. You know, you, oh, you yes. saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yes. Was, okay, there's there's been good. a few. And let me advise that those that we did save, most of the time, somebody, some non-medical person started the intervention. And that's why over the years, we've been all over the Antiguan registrations talking about, you know, let the public learn first aid, start CPR, and so forth. Because most of the time, the person's brain can go maybe about four minutes without oxygen and before the real damage starts to occur. So if someone can just start compression, because there is residual oxygen in the blood when you go unresponsive. When you pass out, all the oxygen that's in your blood doesn't just vaporize. It's still there, mm-hmm. but the heart stops pumping. Mm-hmm. So we advise that you start compressions so that residual oxygen that is still in the blood circulates until we get there. Is there such a thing as an unnecess- unnecessary call? <laughs> there is. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. so then you're going to share some examples with us and help us to understand when or what is the critical condition that we should call um, okay. for an ambulance. Okay, and that that is a sticky situation that management has been looking at <laughs> because we don't want to tell the public, don't call for X, but the public are not medical persons. So we don't want that. They say, you know what, I'm not going to call because this is X. And they say X is not serious, but in actuality it was A. And then the patient dies. So it's like a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Some persons still have the notion, and and it doesn't matter how many times we say on the airways, that that going via ambulance to the emergency room does not guarantee you Mm -hmm. first class service or to be served first Mm -hmm. because there is a principle of triage where you get served based on your severity of your condition or you mm-hmm. get treated based on the severity of your conditions. Persons still ignore this or maybe we haven't gotten to them on the airways as yet, but persons do call for some things that tie up our resources. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had calls at 2 a.m. for um, yeast infection. I've had calls for a person said, well, this might sound funny, but one guy said he had too much um, dukina, now his stomach hurts. And I was like, so how exactly did you expect the scenario to end? Yeah, but then again, what if it's not the dukina? You know? mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. if it's not yeast infection? What right. is that? What if that's just a side product of the real problem? Mm-hmm. So it's always a balancing act. So we advise the public to um, you utilize your clinic, utilize your primary care provider because the ambulance should be there for those dire emergencies. Because let's say I did go for that Dukina call and it really was just Dukina, and then some baby was choking on another side of the island, and I'm mm-hmm. here in Old Road doing right. something else, and mm-hmm. then you know we get the backlash mm-hmm. and it makes us look mm-hmm. like we're not doing our job. So we're just trying to educate the public, you know, share the ambulance. Don't be so selfish. (laughs) Yes, okay. When a patient calls for an ambulance, um, at the request of that patient, can they um, be taken to their doctor? Yes, yes, they can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. But um, we advise the public that private facilities are not necessarily emergency rooms. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, even though your doctor might have a, a Superman reputation, uh-huh. you still end up back in the ER or the hospital because the hospital has more diagnostic, equi- um, diagnostic equipment that, the, that the, um, the private clinic or the private doctor's office might have. And your condition might be so serious that you need to be in a level two hospital or, or whatever um, situation you're facing. So sometimes we will take them straight to their private doctor and then we get a phone call 10 minutes later that that same patient has to be transported back to the emergency room. But it is a case where I can say, okay, I would like to go to my doctor. Yeah, yeah, of course. If someone approaches an accident and they are not certified, but they have the experience in maybe CPR and they can help in that critical situation should they try to help okay. or call 911 um we advise 
do both once the scene is safe once okay. there's no danger to you as a a um, first aider mm-hmm. you can you can proceed and while I say do both call 911 and then proceed to help based on the level of training you get okay. why I say call first we've, we've had situations where persons are so um, eager to help a person mm-hmm. who is in danger they mm-hmm. forgot to call 911 and then everybody on the scene assume that somebody else called 911 and right. then there that question comes up where's the ambulance mm-hmm. but did anybody call 911 and I've had experience with that where we we had an individual who was an auxiliary staff member and he called up he didn't call through 911 he called the base personal number and he said Mr. Fitku there's a car accident here and, and we, we call a long time ago and nobody's here so I asked him who called so I can hear him in the background shout to the crowd who called the ambulance and everybody's quiet because <laughs> nobody called right so call for us and, and and once the scene is safe treat according to your level that you've been trained for okay alright well, something there, there, yeah once once you you know let's say it's CPR you need to mm-hmm. do it. anybody can okay. do CPR once trained anybody can maybe apply pressure to, to a bleeding wound or even be there for psychological support for the patients you know back in the day when, when patients injured people would be so eager to help us we'll have to tell them just give us space mm-hmm. to work and as I said uh, in previous interviews that um, now we have a call where nobody's there to hold the patient hand or say, you know, everything is going to be okay. Everybody wants to put it on the social media. Everybody want to hashtag it. And I find it very disrespectful that mm-hmm. you, you take people's images and post right. it on the media. And now their family member who don't know, maybe they're in an accident, goes on social media and there there is their child, their, their, their relatives, face full of blood and post it on the media. So I'm asking the public, you know, have some respect for person's privacy and so forth. And the flashing of the camera at night even affects the medic. Because if you, if you have these bright lights flashing in our eyes it affects our vision that when we get in the ambulance sometimes there's so many flashing lights that we can't see a vein properly to put up an IV and these are little challenges that we get and you know when we, when we speak you know the public would um, come back with a rude comment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and so forth so it is a challenge yes okay um we, I hope that they would take serious consideration where that is concerned okay if you see a person drowning what should you do Okay. Well, first of all, obviously, call nine on one. You get the, the chain of um, survival start to go, start rolling. Um, if you're not trained in, let's say, the lifeguard type techniques, and I must give a a kudos um, to the Antiguan Barbie lifeguard. I think they're underrated. I think they do a good job, and I don't think most persons know that they're there and they mm-hmm. are a department within government. And if you're not trained in that kind of stuff, I don't advise you to go and try to save someone. If you do know what to do, I, I suggest um, you save measures such. As you know, we have the old saying, throw and row if you can mm-hmm. throw something towards them, or if you have a boat to row out and go get them, or a flotation device and so forth. Going for them um, swimming, it's quite dangerous because you know they say a drowning man will even grasp at straws, mm-hmm. right? So if, if you're trained and you you have a safe method where you won't become the second drowning victim, why not? But call that train of survival. But most beaches, um, especially during the, the height of tourism season, do have a lifeguard and they wear these um neon green shirts I believe yeah so they're there okay what an EMS worker wish every householder knew Basic first aid, okay. basic first aid and CPR, as we've been saying, um, that that goes a long way, especially the the CPR part, because as I said, let's, once that patient heart stop beating, every minute that CPR 
is not being performed, statistically, they have a 10% less chance of survival. So think about that. Every minute of no CPR is a 10% chance of less survival. So that, that chest compressions is very important. Mm-hmm. And basic first aid, such as stopping bleeding. And if a patient is having difficulty breathing, they shouldn't be lying flat, you know, put them to sit up so that they can breathe better and that kind of stuff. If a patient is vomiting, lay them on the side, you know, basic mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's the onus is on us to EMS to get the message out there. Lately, we've been, we know we couldn't teach everybody in the classroom, so we've been working on um, short ads and commercials and, and so forth. We've done some procedures, some from cardiac arrest, how to give directions and so mm-hmm. forth. If someone wants to learn CPR, yeah, where where should they go? Um, they can they can contact our office um, at seven six four eighty three zero six, and you will get the administrator, and she schedules classes. There are other reputable organizations out there um, that that do teach CPR. So. Yeah. Okay. Share some safety tips with our listeners when it comes to a medical emergency. If you're dealing with, let's say, trauma patients, you want to avoid contact with blood as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we treat every patient like um, there's a possibility of infection. It's called uh, um, the body substance isolation. Um, also, scene safety. Uh, we, we really want to push that because one patient is bad enough, but then if you go and help and then you become a patient, now we have two patients to deal with. Um, you know, the speeding has to stop. I must say it's quite ironic that we do have um, the roads under construction and a lot of persons are complaining, but we've actually seen a decrease in road accidents because nobody's speeding on, on the road now because mm-hmm. of the conditions. But we want to um, avoid ask the public to decease in that. Um, certain procedures such as... Um, when when there's a let's say an MVA, um, a motor vehicle accident and so forth, persons tend to gather around the scene and other vehicles are passing. We we find that quite dangerous, mm-hmm. but you stay off the scene, and so forth. But again, it's basic common sense, and uh, we advise taking the CPR course with us, and mm-hmm. you'll get a, a bit of information for it. Okay. Can you share an experience with us that made you realize this is your profession and you will not change for anything? <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll give you a simple one. Not, there's, it wasn't much quite, uh, it, it, it hadn't much gore and, 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 and glory, but um, a few years ago I was in university. So I used to go to school in the day and I used to work on the ambulance at night. So it was a pretty rough time in mm-hmm. my life. I was, I was sleepy most days. I would go three or four days without sleep and so forth, right? So um, one day, I went there I got one night about 2 a.m. I got a call and um, it was a you can tell it was a little domestic disturbance between a young couple and I get the notion that they were having some problems so when the young lady got in the ambulance I can see her crying and there was a very young baby maybe about two months old with her so I asked her you know what's wrong and what's going on she said well you know I am so I'm so disappointed in myself I'm so stressed out I um my mother doesn't like me anymore she said basically she was a very smart girl went to um, a particular school in Antigua which is known for producing smart students mm-hmm. and graduated with like 11 subjects but just before the last CXC subjects she found out she was pregnant and she was about 16 the boyfriend was about 16 and the mother kicked her out and mm. he they're there in this little apartment you know under kind of dark conditions the baby's there crying I'm not sure if the baby's hungry and she's just crying because there she had a bright future and she feel like it's going down so I asked her you know so what is it before all this chaos happened that you wanted to be and she said a nurse <laughs> and I mm. started to 
smile because here I am, having slept in three days, trying to be my do, trying to do my degree in nursing and so forth. And I said, listen, okay, you messed up. That's mm-hmm. obvious. You messed up, but you're still 16 years old. Mm-hmm. You have your future ahead of you. Your job now is to dig yourself out of this mm-hmm. hole mm-hmm. and do what you have to do. Right? You can, you can't give up. There's no lower you can go than this. Correct? Mm-hmm. So you know, I can see that she was receptive of what I'm saying. So the last day of my nursing school career, I felt so good. All the big tuitions stopped mm-hmm. paying, and I can finally sleep after three years. And as I'm walking down the steps in the hospital, guess who I see walking up the steps wow. in a nursing uniform? Her first day of nursing Amazing. school. And that young lady is a nurse today. Wow. Right? So Amazing. that is my job. That, that is the pleasure of my job, of taking people from some of the worst situations in their life, whether it be socially um, or mainly medically, and see them walk out the hospital, just mm-hmm. as I did on my last day. Of nursing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's yeah. good. How would you advise someone who desire to qualify themselves for such a huge responsibility in becoming an EMS worker? How would you advise them? As in the training? Yes, to okay. qualify themselves. Okay. They're, they're basically in Antigua, two, two ways to, to go to school. We have the, the American University of Antigua. I'm actually a graduate of their program. And EMS lately has started their own program under the Antiguan Barbary Emergency Medical Service Training Academy. So the first basic level training to, to get a certification to see your EMT, because you can't apply to the ministry for the job unless you are an EMT, just as if you can't apply to nursing council mm-hmm. for a nursing license unless you're a nurse. So... um you have to do the basic level training it's four months and I I must warn you it's possibly going to be the hardest four months of your life because it's a lot of information that you have to cover and the physical aspect of it is different because your whole life your muscle don't know what it is to carry a backboard with a patient on their upper stairs so just there's no muscle memory for you to rely on and there's a lot of um, exams and so forth but we we do it this way our program we, we make it slightly difficult because we want the patient to be comfortable in uncomfortable Mm -hmm. situation which is the nature Mm -hmm. of the profession so Mm -hmm. do the program first and that's the first step and then we can move on to paramedic and advanced EMT and all that okay at the sound of the sirens on the ambulance or maybe a fire truck what would you desire for listeners people who are hearing this sound to do at that point Okay, so the first thing is to use your mirrors. See where you are in relation to where the song is coming from. Because maybe the song is not even coming your way. Maybe you're going east and they're coming from the south, you know. So we want to look. And when we say look, we mean look in your side mirrors. Just don't pull your car fast over and knock off your bumper on the sidewalk. We're not, we're not looking for that. Look in your mirrors, see where, what's the situation, and then pull accordingly. Because maybe sometime the road and the situation is so difficult that we, we don't even want you to pull to the left as you should maybe because of this current situation you should pull to the right so be aware of your surroundings and then make a decision okay and just post your home mm-hmm. like myself mm-hmm. what would you wish for me to do at that moment because sometimes um I'm, and i'm like lord wherever these guys are going mm-hmm. please have them to be safe save that life prayer okay. goes a long way okay. prayer goes a long way and we, we advocate we, we need to be prayed for um, we, we, we appreciate the prayers that goes out for us so we very much appreciate that because again we're dealing with the thing that concerns man um, other than his soul and that is life and death I don't think you can get any more serious than that so all the prayers that goes up we appreciate it and we are still asking for more 
Okay. Yeah. Any last advice or comment? I mean, stay safe. I mean, um, keep praying for us. And I would, I'm, I'm very appreciative of being here in the studio with you. Most persons don't know that you're once my youth leader <laughs> at the All Saints <laughs> Baptist Church. So, yeah. and you've aged quite better than I am. Oh my. So, congratulations. <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> well, well, thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Mr. Fitku, for coming and sharing the busy life of an EMS worker. I am sure many who are listening will definitely look on every first responder differently now and pray for you um, every time they hear you before they see you. Okay. Thank you. Listeners, I was speaking with Mr. Fitku from the Antigua and Barbuda Emergency Medical Service. Thanks for listening in on our conversation. We trust that it was beneficial to you as you continue to develop a more meaningful life. Do you have a topic or a guest you would like us to have a conversation with for a future episode on Lighthouse Conversations? We would love to hear your suggestions. Send us a mail at Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, P.O. Box 1057, St. John's, Antigua, or Lighthouse, B-I-M-I, at gmail.com. Or give us a call at area code 268-462-1454. Or send us a message via WhatsApp or text at area code 268-782-1454. Thanks for listening. Remember... You can hear Lighthouse Conversations Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time. Bye-bye.